The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, we're several weeks into our series in Jeremiah today. Uh, In fact, we just have one more week to go after today. Next week is our final week with Jeremiah and this series using the lectionary texts and all that. We'll be into something new after that. Uh, And so now, though, on the second to last day of the series, we're finally going to see where the tagline for the series comes from. You can see it on the screen behind me. Jeremiah, the days are surely coming. The days are surely coming. It's, It's really a powerful phrase, isn't it? It speaks to a better future, that things are going to improve. God is going to do some amazing work. And in the mouth of a really gifted preacher, somebody other than me probably, you could hear that refrain ringing out again and again. I could hear, the, I could hear Dr. King using this phrase, the days are surely coming, and just coming back to it again and again. It's not really my style, um, but I do find the power in that phrase. And um, in the book of Jeremiah, that phrase rings out several times. The days are surely coming. And uh, even though it's in there a bunch of times, this week is the only day where we actually encounter it. Um, but it, it is used fairly commonly throughout the book of Jeremiah, and it, it provides sort of a profound hope in the midst of what's really, as you've seen over the past four or five weeks, a fairly dismal and desperate series of prophecies. So this week is where I think things start to get really expansive and all-encompassing, and, and we, we're going to take a sweeping look at practically the whole Bible today. Um, I'm not going to read every word, but I'll read some of them. Um, <laughs> aw. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to get into it. We have kind of a lot to do, and I'm going to try to do it quickly um, and in a way that makes sense. But to get started, let's read today's passage, which is Jeremiah 31, verses 27 through 34. And if you'd like to follow along, there are Bibles under your chairs. You could turn to page 642. You can also look in your own Bible for Jeremiah. We'll start with verse 27. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of humans and the seed of animals. And just as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring evil... So I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those days, they shall no longer say, The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But all shall die for their own sins. The teeth of everyone who eats sour grapes shall be set on edge. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Well, as you can see from the, the slides before, the message is titled today is A New Covenant, and I want to get to the New Covenant stuff um, in, a, in a brief minute. But first I want to make two explanatory points because there's a couple of fairly confusing ideas in the beginning of this passage, and I know if I were sitting where you are and you were up here and you were preaching and you skipped that really weird stuff just to go to the fun New Covenant stuff, I would be irritated and I wouldn't be able to listen. And so I'm going to talk about these interesting and kind of strange um, beginning things first and just get those out of the way, and then we'll talk about the New Covenant stuff, which is the main point of what I want to talk about today. The first one is, in the first couple of voice, verses, you, you have this weird imagery of the Lord sowing seeds of humans and seeds of animals, and um, he's watched over them to, to pluck up and break down, and, and he's watched over them to build and to plant. That, when I first read that, I was kind of like, what is going on there? That doesn't even make any sense. Um, but I think what it is, is it's a, another allusion to the cycle of creation and destruction and recreation that we've seen at other times in this series and in this book of Jeremiah. Um, remember a few weeks ago we talked about Jeremiah chapter 4 and Jeremiah had an apocalyptic vision where he saw the, the undoing of the earth basically, just mountains moving and the earth quaking and um, nobody around and no birds to sing in the air. And you remember that passage? And we talked about how that was, if you looked at the creation account, it was basically a, a complete undoing of the creation and so that was, that was the, uh, the series where we talked about it. it's not going to be a total end, or the sermon where we talked about that. And so I think there's just another retelling of that concept. And actually, the language in there is kind of interesting. It directly mirrors the language of uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Do you remember in the first week of the series, if you were here, we talked about Jeremiah's specific calling, what the Lord had called him to do? The Lord said, See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. All that language sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's just what we read in the, the opening passage of, or opening verses of today's passage. And so this also serves to connect the, the whole work of God to Jeremiah's ministry as he defined it in the beginning of his writings. So that's what the first part is there. And then the second one is even stranger. It's verses 29 and 30. The bit about sour grapes and setting your teeth on edge. First, you have to kind of figure out what's going on there. Um, so what I'd like you to do is, is imagine that you are hungry and a little bit parched. And, and you have a ginormous, delicious, juicy grape. could be green. could be red. It's not my business to tell you. Whatever one you would like more. All right? So close your eyes and you see this grape in front of you and you're thirsty and you're hungry and you can't wait to eat it. And you put it in your mouth and you bite down on it. And in, instead of that juice and sweetness exploding into your mouth, you find that you have chosen the one terribly sour grape in the bunch, right? And now everybody has to do this at the same time and I'm going to do it too. You have to show me the face that you would make when you ate that grape, okay? What's the face? One, two, three, go. Like, right? Nobody's making the face. Come on, make the face. 
there's people listening to this on the podcast, and they're making the face at home. They're like driving down the road, making faces. People are laughing at them. Show me the face that you would make with the grapes, right? Ah, what are your teeth doing right now? They're set on edge, right? So when you eat a sour grape, that's just, that's just what the expression is, that your teeth are set on edge, right? Such a spiritual lesson this morning. But, but you can see in the passage, in verse 29, I would, this would probably be true in all of your Bibles. It's definitely true in the red Bibles that I'm using and some of you are using, where that, ex- that, that little sentence is indented, right? And it's got quotation marks around it. And so what, you, what we know is that this is a citation, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. That was a, a common expression at the time of Jeremiah. It was, you see it in, in some of the other prophets too, actually. And the idea is, imagine you're at a family gathering and your parents eat the grape, but they don't get the sourness. Suddenly your face is doing that after your parents ate it. What this expression means is that it's a complaint against God saying, Our parents sinned, and now we're in exile. The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. No fair, God. And so you actually, you see that complaint in other places as well. Um, And the, the usage here seems to indicate that in the future, people will no longer be saying that because their mind will be set right and because... They won't have any reason to say that because they will all agree that God has dealt so fairly with them in this new covenant that's coming. And so that's that, that little bit. So now that those are out of the way, let's jump into the new covenant stuff. The days are surely coming when I will make a new covenant. Well, we need to talk about what a covenant is, and some of you are familiar with that language and some of you are not. Theologically speaking, a covenant is just an agreement that brings about a relationship of commitment between God and his people. And if you've taken the Journey Together membership class, um, you remember that we talk about the concept that God is a covenant-making God. And we go all through the Old Testament and look at a series of covenants, right? It starts way back in the story of creation. And you don't have to follow along with me here if you don't want to, but if you're faster in the Bible than I am, or as fast, you can catch up if you'd like. But Genesis 1, 28 and 29, after he creates humankind in his image, male and female, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. It goes on like this. So God has made an agreement with his created people that they have the garden, essentially, that they have plants to eat and the earth to enjoy, and it's a completely unconditional relationship. God has blessed them and said, this is what I'm giving you. And in the second creation account in the book of Genesis, did you know there were two? We'll get to that in our next series, which is going to be a fun one. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. So now we have a little bit of an if-then scenario. But God is saying, I'm giving you everything you see here. And there's this one thing that you can't do. 
That's the, the relationship, the commitment, the covenant formed between God and Adam. At the time, just Adam. You see another one in, a little later in Genesis, after the story of the flood. God makes a covenant with Noah after the flood and actually makes a covenant with the entire creation. And uh, he, he says, I establish my covenant with you, this is chapter 9, verse 11, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds all the way across the sky. Double rainbow guy, come on. <laughs> I already went to that joke once this series. You guys are like, no more double rainbow guy, please. <laughs> and so this covenant, this agreement with, with, between God and Noah, and notice that it's also with all the creatures. It's not just people. This one has a sign. So that we introduced the concept of covenant having a sign, the rainbow, as a reminder that God has promised not to, to destroy the earth in that way again. And then probably the, the most significant one, because we have the, the start of the history of the people of Israel, is the covenant that he makes with Abram, who later was renamed Abraham. But that comes in, in Genesis 12, and I'll give you the quick summary of it here in the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a very profound but simple covenant relationship. God sees Abraham or Abram. And Abram has faith in God. And God says, because of your faith, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And the covenant with Abraham is the beginning of the story of the Jewish people. And this covenant also has a sign. The sign is described in chapter 17, um, verse 9. Now, there's no other obligation other than this sign. God said to Abraham, whom he had renamed at this point, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you, Every male among you shall be circumcised. And so that's the establishment of the sign of the covenant with Abraham as circumcision. We're getting closer to the, ones, the one that really matters most for our purposes today, which, is, which comes much later. Uh, and it's a covenant that God makes with Moses. You know, Abraham wanders around and settles, and, and eventually his people are... his descendants are taken into slavery in Egypt, and uh, it's, it's there that they begin to grow. And so they've been in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years, and God now is uh, redeeming them from that slavery. And you all know the story of escaping from the Pharaoh and crossing the Red Sea and, and beginning this period of wandering in the wilderness before they come to the promised land. Uh, but during that time of wandering, God establishes a new covenant that involves the law. And if we look at Exodus, which comes right after Genesis, chapter 19, looking at verse 5. 
here's where God expresses the conditions of the covenant with Moses. Yeah, I got this off Moses' Facebook page. I think this is his best picture. <laughs> now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. And so Moses comes down off the mountain, the Mount Sinai. This is often called the Sinai Covenant, uh, with the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. Uh, we all know and love and follow the Ten Commandments every day, right? Ten Commandments are also called the Decalogue, by the way. Deca, ten, log, word. So the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. And it's, it's this covenant... The ten words and the hundreds of other laws that come about as a result of the covenant with Moses as the people struggle to, to follow and find faith. And have you noticed this pattern, how it starts off pretty simple, like don't eat from that one tree? We are, we are people, human beings, throughout history, have not done great with open-ended rules. We want something very specific so that we can tell others when they're breaking them, Right? If it's just a tree, that hardly ever happens. Who do I get to criticize? I need at least 10. Can you give me 10 laws? Yes, 10 laws. Well, they're kind of big and general and like really who's going to murder somebody? Can we make it more specific? And so eventually we have 613 Mosaic laws that uh, are defining the covenant with the Hebrew people. And it's this covenant, the law, about which, bring it back to Jeremiah, God says, in verse 32 of our passage, the new covenant that I will make with my people will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And he goes on, as you remember, to say, by the way, that was a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. I don't have to get too creeped out by that. I don't want to be married to God thing. This is just a metaphor for the, the relationship between God and his people, and how it was a relationship of trust that was broken by one party. And so we actually use the term covenant to describe a marriage relationship as well, and, and a lot of you know, have heard that word, and I just did a wedding for Anna and Elliot recently, and one of the first things out of my mouth when I do a wedding is the, the covenant of marriage is established by God in creation, and, and so on and so forth. So when that kind of relationship is broken, that's a major breach of trust. So God's saying, this is, this is the covenant that I made with them, and they broke it, by the way. But the new covenant that I'm going to make, it's not going to be like that. The new covenant. What is that new covenant? Well, it's explained in, in verse 33. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I love the language that's used to describe this, this new covenant relationship. I will write my law on their hearts. It's, I see a beautiful parallel there between something else that comes from earlier in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. And there's actually a ton of parallels between Jeremiah and Deuteronomy. We actually we could have done a, a, an in-depth series about that if we'd wanted to. Um, but one of the most famous and certainly one of the most important uh, 
passages of Scripture occurs in, in Deuteronomy. It's when, when the, the people have wandered and they're just on the cusp of going into the promised land and Moses calls them all together for an assembly and he retells their whole story. Deuteronomy is just the second book. It's the second telling of, of the people and their wanderings and all that. And he says to them, Shema Yisrael. Anybody ever heard that expression before, Shema Yisrael? It just means, hear, O Israel. And it's, it, it's the name of a prayer that Jews to this day pray at bedtime and other times. One of the most significant prayers of the Jewish faith is the Shema Yisrael. It just says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, our translation says it a little differently. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. It goes on to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Words that you may remember Jesus quoting. Keep these words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. Remember, this is Moses saying it to the people. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. And here's the interesting part for our purposes. Moses says to the people, Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That in itself is a really beautiful idea that the, the word, the law of that covenant, the old covenant, was so important and so meaningful and so profound to the people that they would write it around their houses. And they literally could not go anywhere in their house without seeing it. You go from one room to the other, it's on the doorposts. You go outside, it's on the gate. You look at your friend, it's, and he's saying, you know, bind it to your wrists and make it an emblem on your forehead. It's everywhere. It's written down everywhere, all around you. What's even more beautiful than that is that in the New Covenant, that law, which was so central to the life of faith, is no longer external to us. It's not written on our doorposts or our gates or bound to the outside of our body. In the new covenant, the Lord says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And so, that law, that relationship, the covenant is no longer outside, but it's within us by faith in Jesus. That's what Jeremiah is talking about here. He's prophesying the new covenant with the coming of Christ. You could look at it another way. Remember I said the name of the, the, the fancy name for the Ten Commandments? Do you remember what I said it was? Decalogue, which means ten words. If you look at the Gospel of John, it opens with a treatise on the concept of the logos, the Greek word for word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And so before we had the ten words, and they were etched in stone, <laughs> couldn't miss them but they weren't really living and breathing. In the coming of Jesus, the Word has become a human being and walked around among us. 
One popular uh, transliteration of that passage said, the word became human and moved into the neighborhood. (laughs) You could put your hand on the new covenant if you were there at the time. (laughs) And it would squeeze you back. In some other places in Jeremiah, you see hints of this as well. And you you begin to get the sense of of just how important and crucial and world-altering this new covenant will be. If you look at chapter 16, verses 19 through 21. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our ancestors have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can mortals make for themselves gods? Such are no gods. The old covenant was between God and a specific group of people. Jeremiah is hinting here that in the new covenant, it's open to all. Which, as we've said occasionally here at Artisan, that's kind of nice because not very many, if any of us, were, were born into that old covenant. We're born Jews. And yet it's open to everyone. And there's one other one that I wanted to show you from Jeremiah 23. And there's tons of scripture. We're looking at so much stuff today, but it's, there's so much good stuff. This is another occurrence in Jeremiah of the tagline, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Actually, this makes me chuckle. <clears throat> the words that Jeremiah chooses here, we read this, and it's just like, oh, that's a beautiful thing. It's a, he's talking about Jesus. And that's, that's good. He is. We want to celebrate that. But he's also being really subversive. Do you remember the name of the king of Judah at the time of Jeremiah? We met him last week. He was the nice fellow who had imprisoned Jeremiah in the palace courts because Jeremiah was preaching against his kingdom. What was his name? Zedekiah. Remember that? Zedekiah last week? So Jeremiah is prophesying about this coming king in this new, what we know now as the new covenant. And he's going to be a righteous branch and his, his name is going to be the Lord is our righteousness. The Hebrew word for righteous is tzedek and for righteousness is tzedekah. And so Jeremiah is essentially, imagine in 2008, a presidential candidate is, is running for president, and he says, the new president, under the new president, it's not going to be Bush League anymore, right? <laughs> like, or if we wanted to be bipartisan about it, we could imagine in a couple of years somebody running against um, President Obama and saying, it's not going to be an Obummer anymore. Uh. <laughs> it's a pun. They're Wow. (laughs) 
more puns. <laughs> that really was a terrible pun. <laughs> but this is what Jeremiah's prophecy is saying. The new king will be righteous. He'll be Tzedek. He won't be like Zedekiah. <laughs> wow. We are totally off the rails now. Well, while we're wrapping up, <laughs> let me read you one more little bit of Scripture, and we're going to jump ahead to the New Testament now, to the book of Galatians, one of my favorites, chapter 3. Paul's writing to this church, and, and he says in 324, Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. And he goes on to use wonderful, inclusive language. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so Paul connects all those stories that we just talked about, the whole history of God and all the covenants that he made. Everything comes to its completion and fruition in Christ Jesus. And you are all children of God through faith. The doors have been thrown wide open. See, for Jeremiah and the Judeans, the days are surely coming was a, a phrase that held profound hope for the future. But for us, the days have surely come. They're here. We are God's children. We are living in the new covenant. So will you step out in faith, the faith that Paul talks about, and embrace that, and I think make the only fitting response to that, which is to dedicate your life to following him. In another letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells the story about the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, it is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so I'd like to invite you now to participate in this sacred Christian ritual and to come to the Lord's table. There's no better indication of 
faith that I can think of than to participate in the sacrament that he instituted for his disciples on the night that one of them betrayed him. That guy ate the bread too, by the way. So anybody who's seeking to follow Jesus, whether you're Peter or Judas, is welcome to participate in this uh, part of our service. And if you're here exploring that concept, if you feel like you're not quite in that realm, it's okay that you don't participate in this part. Nobody will look at you funny. Um, We hope that this service is a time when you can think and meditate and pray and ponder that possibility taking root in your life someday. We're going to continue to worship in song. And uh, parents, if you have children who are down at the other end, you can go get them and bring them back in quietly. And if they'd like to take communion with you, that's okay. Or you can wait until after you've taken it to go get them. Uh, But retrieve them and we'll continue in worship and our table will be open for the rest of our time together. And so I invite you to come as you sense the invitation from the Lord. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.